Hi Paul everyone, hi Krishna, this is Kishore Chandra and we're here for chit chat with myself and Jay Jagannath Prabhu and uh, we come on here every evening at 6pm and we speak about spiritual topics and things of this nature Welcome Kavi, welcome Geneva, Hadi Hadi Bol Started Jai Jagannath is here I was a little, uh, not late, but just Direct, directly on time. <laughs> Hi, Jaya. Hello. Hello. How goes it? Um, yeah. Hi, John could be a little bit better, but, you know, that's always the case, I suppose. Yes. Me too, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you about we... going oh, no, back go. to... Thinking about going back to New York for a visit. Mm. So, I, I know I'm undecided. Mm. I'm sure they'll be very happy to have you there. Yeah, I'm kind of more concerned about my own happiness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, spoken as a true conditioned soul. Yeah. So, I'm conflicted. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's interesting because I feel like... Well, we left off on this topic yesterday, which I don't know how necessary. I mean, it's a great topic to, to speak about, but maybe I can expand on it. I had an interesting conversation this morning with a god sister of ours, and we really got into a, a very, you know, a very spiritual topic, uh, you know, and the topic was like having your own foundations or having your own spiritual foundations uh, very much, your own spiritual life very much nurtured, uh, very much like, you know, we've spoken about this so much in chit chat, very much like strengthened, nurtured, in check, like having your stable ground to stand on and that how that in and of itself is such a strong service to Krishna yes. and, to guru, and to Guru. And I think that sometimes we forget that. You know, I personally, I forget that a lot of the times that it's like, oh, like, me looking after myself is actually like a, a very, it's like part of it all, you know? It's like part of the mission. It's part of serving my Guru Dave. It's part of serving Krishna. And so I know that you're always joking like, well, I'm doing, you know, what's for my own happiness. So I'm looking out for myself or like this. And I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's, it's funny and it's true in, in many ways. But at the same time, there's, it seems like it's a tension sometimes of like, how much do I like, offer and give and like be a part of community and like this and how much do I look after myself how much do I make sure that I'm okay first and foremost beforehand and I think that that point gets confused sometimes perhaps in our bhakti circles because a lot of it is like cut the false ego and all humility and like you know just tolerate and austerity and like do service and like rah, 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 like this you know and sometimes that mentality can be there where it's like I'm gonna disregard is not the word but like put my stuff you know on hold for a bit and I'm just gonna go full force and yeah, I've spoken, it's, it's I've, like it's like you martyr yourself for the yes good. yes and I've spoken to a lot of devotees that like they're just like yeah like at the beginning I was just like not even at the beginning like for this period of time in my life I was like throwing myself in I was putting all my stuff on the side da, 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 da. and then they're just like and I just realized that like that's unsustainable like I can't 
I can't do that. You know, that was a disservice to, to me. And I'm realizing it was a disservice to Guru and like this, this is a very interesting thing, you know, how much to go after your own happiness. I'm putting that in quotation marks, you know, air quotes, but like your own well-being, you know, your own stability like this. It is. It kind of reminds me of the um, sort of burnout that you've described with social workers, who yes. kind of come into the business of sorts with this idea of, you know, let's do good for others and let's <laughs> martyr ourselves for the greater good, and and they're like super enthusiastic in the beginning, but as they actually engage with the the work of mm. doing good for others they maybe come to the realization of how small they are and how big an issue that work is. And maybe they experience a little bit of demoralization and they kind mm. of burn out and then it just becomes like, okay, I need to take care of self. So in a very probably similar way, spiritualists, we kind of go through like a burnout. You know, when we first joined spiritual life, we're, we're, all, we're super enthusiastic as we should be, but because the journey we're taking is largely an unknown journey. It's, we, don't, we don't engage with it in a measured way because how can you really measure for something that's unknown? Mm. So you kind of like dive into it and you want to martyr yourself um, as doing the compassionate work, you know, this, the real spiritual work, which is compassionate work, which is preaching and helping others to elevate spiritually and perhaps mm. in other ways to... And then you kind of realize that, yeah, that you ain't got your shit together either. <laughs> and yeah, that's always like a, I, I was thinking about this a week ago and I, I kind of want to write a post about this because mm -hmm. I, I was actually thinking about the subject matter of um, is being concerned about your own happiness, selfishness. Mm. Now, I think the answer to that, just like, intuitively is yes <laughs> like don't get me wrong i don't want to philosophize my way out of like the obvious truth i often joke that as conditioned souls we are predisposed toward our own well-being mm. yes and the only reason we even kind of think of others and you know is because they have some relationship to our own self mm. i often like to reference a, a, a um a passage from the Brihat Aranyakaru Upanishad, or also it comes in the Bhagavad Purana, where that the self is most dear and the dearness of other things is due to the dearness of the self. So when things share a relationship to the self, whether they're inanimate things like my money, I'm more concerned about my money, what's happening with my money than, what I'm, than what's happening to your money, for example. Mm -hmm. Or I'm concerned with those who have direct relationship to me, my friends, my family, and yeah, the whole concept of mine, you know, thinking of something as mine just kind of exposes the degree to which we've invested our own eye into that particular thing, whether mm. it be an inanimate or animate object. So I often like to joke that ontologically speaking, as, as jivas, and the word jiva specifically refers to a soul conditioned by maya shakti or matter, we are already predisposed to our, our own self. So I don't mind like joking about that. Like, yeah, I ate the last of the ice cream because I'm a jiva. Like, that's what we do. <laughs> um, at the same time, I, w I, was, <laughs> I was brought to wonder um, about this question, how much is being concerned about our own happiness, selfish, in the context of the huge explosion 
and social unrest and, you know, the sort of social justice sort of messaging. I was, I was, I, you know, in the context of those events, um, people are often, yeah, the way I guess the kind of presenting is that if you're doing things that are good for you or like focused primarily on you, it's selfish. Yeah. And that, you know, although you do have a individual responsibility to yourself, there is a collective responsibility that you should be more concerned about and more attuned to it's kind of sacrificing yourself for. So in that, in that context, it brought me thinking about actually, to be real, um, miserable people make a miserable world. <laughs> and happy people, unsurprisingly, makes a happy world. There's like a very mm -hmm. simple logic. So if I'm concerned about what it takes to be happy, and I do that, and you're also concerned about what it takes to be happy, you do that on an individual level, we actually do something for the collective by becoming mm. happy. Now, what is a concept of happiness? That's why, yeah, the metaphysics underneath these words, like happiness, you know, happiness for a jiva is chase after things, and the more things I acquire, then I'll be happy. Mm. So, which is, I, I think, demonstrably false. Yeah. Uh, so you have to have a, a pretty, you have to have a deep metaphysics that underneath those words like happiness and all that. But let's just, let's just take it for granted that we have a deep metaphysics for that word happiness. Then in principle, if I do whatever it takes for me to be happy, and you also do whatever it takes for you to be happy, and everyone in the world does what it takes for them to be happy, then you make, you actually get a happy world. Mm. Because happy people make a happy situation. And conversely, miserable people make a miserable situation. You know, and so what does it mean to be miserable? You know, and we have our metaphysics underneath that, underpinning that particular word also. And so if you understand the metaphysics, like if you have a deep metaphysics underpinning these words like happiness, misery, then that, doing that work on an individual level to be happy is like really good work. Mm. And the very fact that so many of us have neglected to understand in a deep way what it means to be happy, understanding in a deep way what sabotages or compromises our ability to be happy, have neglected the principles by which we can have happiness life has led to our miserable condition. Mm. And I guess as a, as a saying goes, misery loves company. And here we are, <laughs> a bunch of miserable persons, <laughs> you know, trying to keep each other company in a miserable world. Mm. So in that, in that context, I was, I, I was kind of wanting to write, write about this. I was just thought to think, I was brought to think of this. Yes, and I think it's such a good topic. You know, you've explained it so nicely. And it's kind of one of the reasons why I, I, when, I said, when I said happiness, I was almost like cringe and I was like air quotes, you know, happiness. And right. I think the, the issue with that is like, you know, you have just mentioned so clearly that like when you, when you think of the word happiness in the material world, it's kind of this conception of running after material things and more things and more things that I think are going to make me happy that eventually don't. It's a defunct, you know, process. And everyone's, I think for the most part, like people are aware of that or maybe not, I'm not sure. But, you know, I think people are catching on, you know, it's like, oh, things don't make me happy. Okay. Mm. And so when we speak about a spiritual happiness, you, you very much kind of laid it out. Like there's a metaphysics in our philosophy behind what real happiness actually means. There's a metaphysics in our philosophy 
what you know being miserable unhappy actually means and i think that what becomes difficult for people and even my even us who are like supposedly practicing you know bhaktas and trying to like you know many of the listeners right now like we're trying to like trying to be christian conscious trying to do this i i can say this for myself that i fall into the trap of you know falling into that you know seduction of material happiness and thinking that that's what happiness means regardless of the fact that there's so many verses in bhagavad gita and shrimad bhagavatam philosophy like no that is not what happiness is you know for some reason the verse coming to my mind is the matras parshas tukonteya shitas nasuka dukada agama paino nityas tamstatik shasovarata which is that like the 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 happiness and the distress that we experience in this material world come as a result of our sense of our senses and that they'll disappear kind of into each other as the seasons disappear into each other so it's very quick right it's like it's summer and all of a sudden it gets cold and then it's cold and all of a sudden it gets hot and so me attributing happiness to either of those polarities of those extremes i'm happy because you know i finally got something in life or you know i'm miserable because i lost something it's like well that's not a real happiness it's very clear you know it's very clear to me krishna has said in bhagavad gita however the practice of actually what's that word embodying that knowledge seems to be kind of difficult <laughs> because i think you know myself like and i know others i'm not the only one it's like we fall into that stuff of like oh well i don't have or you know the envy thing comes up which we were speaking about too did they have i don't have why don't i have why aren't i oh you know like this and then this construct of happiness comes as a result or not as a result but it starts to like veer into that materialistic happiness realm and i feel like that's that's a conundrum not a conundrum but it's just a tough reality to kind of like you know go into the material world which we're all a part of we're here and really try and embody having like yearning for a spiritually happy life and kind of being that in that juxtaposition with like the materialistically happy life do you know what i mean yeah um uh, so you know we these two words are often are juxtaposed next to each other gana and vigana yes so sometimes we translate the word gana as like theoretical knowledge and vigana you might call it as embodied knowledge yes um knowledge that you've actually realized through practice and so we have gana but we don't have the vigana so we get stuck in patterns of inferiority to our true potential i was reading um a verse today from the bhagavatam seventh canto is the section is a sanyasi avaduta mm. he's just lying on the road chilling and pralap marsh oh, walks yeah. upon him and you know he's i, I guess this this guy's a little bit fat so pralap marsh is like i noticed you kind of fat but you're also <laughs> um very deeply realized i guess the idea is that if you're fat then you're you kind of really enjoying life yeah um and so it's not considered particularly spiritually flattering to be too fat apparently um there's not body shaming just different old world different standards <laughs> so um so for lab mars is like kind of like you you know you kind of fat like you were an enjoyer but i could tell that you're deeply realizing so he inquires about that and so this sanyasi avadut begins speaking you know spiritual knowledge amazing section of the bhagavatam yeah and there's this one verse where he says 
Uh, I was looking at the verse today. Sukam Asya Atmanorupam. So this means the Atmanorupam, the form of the Atman is Sukha, mm. is happiness or bliss. That is the very form of the Atman. And then Sarva Iha Uparati Panu. And he says the Uparati, detachment from um, all Iha. Now the word Iha technically means like material endeavors. Uh, and it, can, it also can refer to the sort of thirst that underpins our material endeavors. Kama, the, you mm. know, the thirst that causes us to run after objects. So he says, Uparati, detachment from material thirst is the body mm. of that happiness. So mm. the happiness is the very form of the self. And detachment from thirst is the body you know, that kind of houses that happiness. It was a, it's a very interesting sort of image. So if you can imagine, there's happiness is there, but it can only exist inside a particular body. You know, um, I'm thinking something like magical, like some fantasy show, you know, <laughs> where some creature is there, but can only exist in sort of, inside of a particular tabernacle. Is mm. that how you say that, tabernacle? Yeah, tabernacle. tabernacle? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that also can mean material body, so, or at least... It's used that way sometimes. So you like, you know, it's like a wizard and he's trying to find the right vessel to place the essence in, you know? Yeah. So if you think of happiness like this essence that can only exist in a, a proper um, vessel, mm. that vessel in this particular verse, that vessel is said to be detachment. Mm. And um, yeah, detachment from sarva iha. So sarva iha means like all endeavors or all sort of pleasure addictions that underpin our, our, our running after matter in some mm. ways. That is the body that houses the vessel of this happiness. Mm. So, yeah, I just, I sent this, and I was sending this to someone else, and I was just contemplating that, that, yeah, we're not happy because we're too attached. And then, atta I was, then it got me thinking about how attachment just turns everything into um, rubbish. Yes. Even, even like, a, even like, because this is my contemplation just before I got on Shit Chat. Even like an attachment that you think, okay, I'm just gonna give this as an example. It's a, it's a weird example to get. It's, it's totally Vedantic, but <laughs> it's not inspiring. So I, that's, I'm just gonna say that before I. It's um, my disclaimer. Okay. Um, family attachment, like something mm -hmm. as, something as you think, like, what's wrong with family? Like, you love your child and the child loves you or you love your parents even something like that a material like something that's natural and purportedly beautiful even that attachment can turn the whole world into rubbish and why i say the whole world is i'm thinking and i'm thinking this is what i'm thinking this is the example i'm thinking in my head you have these like these people in great positions of power mm. Let's say the Rothschilds or the Rockefellers. <laughs> All right, I don't actually know anything about these people's family, but they're they're names that often come up in like conspiracy theory um, groups, which I'm not a part of, by the way. But I've heard <laughs> these names come up in that context. So you know, there's like very powerful families mm -hmm. that start wars and do all sorts of things just so that their own families can be happy. Yeah. And so when you take it just in the context of like their family, like 
they're doing good. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm doing what it takes for my family to flourish. But then yeah. when you like broaden the contacts, you see like, but you just made like millions of families the world over suffer for that. And it's mm -hmm. like, well, whatever, whatever is necessary. So that's mm -hmm. obviously an extreme example, but extreme examples often make clear a point. And the point that I'm making is that something even as beautiful, um, seeming, what's the word? As insidious, not insidious, in, inoculus. How do you say that word? In, inoculus? In, innocuous, <laughs> yeah. Innocuous. Innocuous. <laughs> how else would you say that word? <laughs> right, you know what I was thinking about the oculus in New York? Oh my God. <laughs> I was like, innocuous. I was like, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> Something as innocuous as family attachment, prima mm. facie, itself can turn the whole world into rubbish. Yeah. In a, a rubbish situation. And so, yeah, just, I was, just, anyway, my looking at that verse and reflecting on it brought me in that direction that detachment or just like letting go of material thirst is the body for happiness. Mm. And then, so I was just thinking about the converse. So the attachment is the body for pain. Mm. And there's so much pain in this world because we're, there's so much attachment to the body of pain, which is attachment itself. <laughs> mm. Attachment to our own bodies, it kind of begins there, but even attachment to our families, to our spouses, our partners, attachment to objects like money or attachment to social media or whatever it might be. Some sort of attachment is the body mm. of pain sooner or later yeah that's not very inspiring i just those are my <laughs> reflections. i think no they're very good reflections because i think that this attachment being the body of pain is so interesting because you know you say that it's a uh what's the word that you use kind of like an extreme example but i don't think yeah. it's an extreme example at all because yeah. this has been this has been going on since like time immemorial and specifically when you were speaking about like, you know, all these like high up families, starting wars, conspiracy theories, like we don't even need to go there. The first thing that came to my mind was um, Helen of Troy. I don't know if you know Helen of Troy. I don't really, I mean, was, it's a famous story. I don't really know it yeah. well though. So, I mean, we don't need to know it well, but basically Helen of Troy, she was the wife of the King of Sparta and Paris, the Prince of Troy, stole her because they were in love with each other and Whatever. And the famous saying goes, the face that launched a thousand ships, right? Because it's like they, they went to war over, over this like, you know, you did me wrong. You went with the other guy. You know, you're supposed to love me. You don't love me. You love him. Let's throw everything into chaos. Let's have these two kingdoms go to complete and utter war because I, you know, you can't get over your lusty attachments. I can't get over my attachments. Like essentially that's what it comes down to, you know? Right. So I don't, think it's, I don't think it's crazy at all where really it's like the body as a vessel, the body, the physical body as a vessel has both those capabilities of allowing us to reach a, a spiritual happiness, a sustainable happiness. You know, it is, it is a vessel which we're able to reach Krishna with. However, at the same time, you know, if we are, don't transcend our, 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 our chit, it's something that can throw us into chaos, into attachment. And for some reason, I had this verse pulled up on my computer. Maybe we, we referred to it some other chit chat, but this is, um, this is uh, Srimad Bhagavatam 11 to 37. You know, it says fear arises when a living entity yeah. misidentifies. 
misidentifies himself as the material body because of absorption in the external illusory energy of the Lord. And it goes on to say, when the living entity thus turns away from the Supreme Lord, he also forgets his own constitutional position as servant of the Lord. And this bewildering, fearful condition is affected by the potency for illusion called Maya. And therefore, an intelligent person should engage unflinchingly in unalloyed devotional service, bhakti of the Lord, under the guidance of bona fide spiritual master, whom he should accept as his worshipful deity, etc. And the big point for me, I mean, there's many, many points in this verse, but like what we're speaking about is that like eventually attachment brings fear, you know, like I'm afraid that I'm going to lose this person because you gave this example of family and it's like, I don't know about y'all, but like I've been, I've been through some, you know, I've been through some stuff with my family. I've been through some stuff with relationships. And a lot of it is like that sense of like, you know, I don't want to say the word like, um, ownership i feel like that sounds like too intense but mm -hmm. that sense of like i don't want to lose you you know like i'm afraid to lose the person i'm afraid to like lose this person in my life or like i'm afraid to lose this friend or this you know param whatever it is you know and therefore this attachment breeds when it is attachment it breeds fear because i'm misidentifying my soul with my body I'm misidentifying that the body is, I love this language, right? The body is the, the, the vessel or the container of this happiness. And therefore that's the direction I'm supposed to go in. However, I'm going in this other direction, misidentifying with the body. And therefore I find myself in, in Maya and illusion. I saw yeah, a bunch Mad of comments. Well, Madhavapuri is saying, now on the flip side, how do we, or can we spiritualize these relationships? Mm. You know, yeah, there's always theory. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say something cheeky like that first. <laughs> There's always theory that we we can. Um, well, you know, one of the most often quoted verses in our community is the Sutta Vairagya verse, which means you know re renunciation through engagement. You know, not using things for yourself, but engaging those things in the service of Krishna. Yeah. Uh, always being cognizant that everything has a relationship to Krishna which kind of speaks to Kavi's point. She's uh, saying when we see Krishna as everything and everyone, we are able to give compassion to those non-devotee relationships. They're potentially just lower down in the journey. Um, so yeah, I, this verse is there where devotees, you know, as long as you see that everything ultimately has a relationship to Krishna and you use those things in relationship to Krishna, then, you know, hands washed, there's no problem. And it's like, it's a beautiful theory. <laughs> Just how exactly. I was, about to... <laughs> um, I was about to say, I, it's not... a beautiful theory. Yeah. I'm not the one to say how, how that's something, that's a journey that each individual's going to probably have to discover for themselves. Mm. Um, and there, I'm sure you're all, everyone's hearing certain theory, theoretical points of how one might go about doing that. Um, I just want to offer enough, just this other angle that in the old world culture, you know, there was kind of like a time, because see, that's why, that's why giving the family example is always sensitive because it leads to these, these sorts of um, questions in my mind mm -hmm. also. But just as a general point, in the old world culture, there was always this, it was like a time for education. Mm -hmm. There was a time for the household life sort of thing. And then there was a time for retirement and just absorption. And then the final stages in preparation for death. 
Mm. So, you know, I guess that's something to keep in mind. Whether we're able to spiritualize some of these relationships or not, there's a time for letting go. That's kind of the... Because that's the point that we're making, that letting go is the body of happiness mm. at the end of the day. And letting go in a timely manner before you're forced to let go. Because all of us will have to let go by cruel death at the very latest. If we're like really hard-headed and obstinate and we want to hang on, then mm. at the very latest, we'll have to let go at the time of death. Yes. But in Vedic culture or the culture we hear about in the Bhagavatam, it's a lot of encouragement to let go before death comes yeah. so that you can experience that sort of 100% absorption in a higher reality before you die. Mm. Um, and being absorbed in that higher reality before you die, the, the theory is that you can go to that higher reality, whatever it is that you're absorbed in. So, yeah, just generally, unlike the modern culture, which is a culture of like acquisition, the old world culture, especially spiritual culture, it seems as a rule, is the culture of letting go. Mm. Um, and there's a period for acquisition in the old world culture. You know, they call it the Grihasta period or the second period. And then there's a, there's a period for letting go. Mm. Um, so whether or not we, we're always able to spiritualize those relationships, you know, it depends. Some, I've seen people who are successful, and I've seen a lot who aren't able to do that because of whatever the situation is. Yeah. But um, there's always that period. Even if you are successful, even then there might still be a period of, like, letting go, depending on the nature of the relationship. Um, yeah. And why? And why we get into this? Well, so you can be happy. And so that you can also assist the world in becoming a happier place. Yes. It requires a sufficient amount of people letting go, it seems. And we're saying in the converse, because there aren't sufficient amount of people letting go of things, letting mm. go of their pride, letting go of their greed, letting go of their um, need for vengeance and retribution, mm. you know, letting go of their just good old regular attachment to pleasure addictions and so on. Because there isn't sufficient letting go, we're not, from us as individuals, we're not allowing ourselves or the world to move into a happy place. You know, even, like, even in scripture, it seems like scripture like kind of regulates the degree of attachment that's healthy. Hmm. You know, it'll, it'll give injunctions like, okay, this is okay, but that's not okay. And we're like, well, why not? If I like it, you know, I should be able to do it. And it's like, all right, homie, hmm. you know, you can go for it, but now you're going to have to suffer. So, yeah, I guess that's what I, um, I forgot how I was getting here precisely, but yeah, it's not, it's, it's not enough of us letting go in the ways that we need to let go mm. so that we can experience our own happiness and also help the world move into happiness. Mm. Whether it's the big elites who not letting, they like they have more than enough money and they're still trying to siphon off more money from the middle class and just annihilate the middle class, which is what I've been hearing from different friends. Whether it's them not being able to let go or us as smaller guys who on the grand scheme of things may not seem to matter, but we're not able to let go of so many things also. Mm. We've sabotaged our own happiness and we've sabotaged the world's ability to move into happiness. Mm. Um, 
Yeah, so now we've embraced the body of pain mm. in the form of our various attachments. And yeah, and that brings us back to our point that, you know, happy, wor happy world, happy people, happy world, miserable mm. people, miserable world. So in order to be happy, you have to be able to really let go, but we're not able to do that, so now we have to suffer. Yeah, and I think that, you know, because I think that that's such a beautiful way of putting it, like happy people, happy world, you know, I think the, I think the, the, the process of letting go of things or the process of, you know, detaching from things is something that is very difficult, you yeah. know, and I don't think it should be taken lightly and therefore our spiritual life should not be taken lightly because that's what our spiritual life is there for. Like that's, that's its function to help us through these processes so that we can let go, so that we can get rid of the unwanted things in our hearts mm -hmm. so that we can go towards, you know, uh, happiness in our hearts like this. And we've brought this point up so many times in chit chat of just like taking our spiritual life more seriously. I've definitely found that when I, you know, it's really, it's almost like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's almost like, I know that this might sound really intense, but it's almost like you really need to take a microscope, you know, mm. to, to your own life and to your own spiritual life and like really zoom in on each moment. And personally, I find that that's why Japa is so important in our bhakti practices, because in Japa, you really have the opportunity, if you give it to yourself, to zoom into each moment and be like, am I chanting inattentively or am I or am I really focusing on the name, you know? And that's just like such a mind-blowing thing, you know? And every time we come back to that same mantra, this morning I was chanting, I was chanting, you know, pacing back and forth on my balcony. And I found myself, I had to stop myself for a moment and be like, God, I'm chanting Krishna's names, but I'm thinking about all my problems. You know, this is ridiculous. I was like, Bam, come on, like get it together. And I was like, okay, let me just, you know, Sachinanda Namara, she has beautiful writings on this, the, the living name and like so many beautiful books that he, there's also another book called, I think, Japa book, right? By, um, by, um, uh, Burijan? Burijan, Burijan Prabhu, yeah. I think it's called the Japa Reform book, something like that. And there's so many beautiful books that have helped me. But yeah, I was able to zoom in on the moment and be like, am I focusing on Krishna's names or not? And the answer was no, no, I'm not. And I was like, or okay. And I was like, okay, let me try and focus. And personally, that has really, I feel like it can be like a very um, intense thing to accept that that might be what we need to do. Like, I need to like, look at my, you know, be honest with where I'm at. Look at my spiritual life. Where are the holes? Where are not the holes? Like, you know, where do I need to patch the holes up and fix it? And is it my japa? Is it my this? Is it my that? Is it my hearing? And, you know, because when we're, I think that this is the thing. Okay, I'm going to end here because I could go off on a rant. I think that when we're on autopilot, naturally, you know, this is a world of degradation. We're in Kali Yuga, chaos. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm on autopilot, when I'm not zooming in on my own spiritual life and giving it the attention that it deserves, when I'm on autopilot, I'm going to go towards attachment. You know, I'm going to go towards attachment. I'm going to go towards, you know, gratifying my senses. That's the way that, that's, that's just the way the cookie crumbles, you know. If I don't, if I'm not vigilant, I've always liked that word, vigilant. If I'm not vigilant on my spiritual life, then that's where I'm going to go. 
and it will be pain and suffering, etc. And therefore, yeah, I think I just wanted to make that point about like that achieving that happiness. It's a science, you know, it's the science of bhakti yoga. And yeah. it's, it's been very much kind of laid out for us, but it's, it's quite an endeavor, you know, it's quite the endeavor. Yeah, I guess the message is today, go for it. Go for your own happiness. Absolutely. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> and saying that in the context of the discussion, because saying it outside of the context makes it sound really like self-absorbed and probably hedonistic, but it's not. It's a, it's a really good message, everyone. Aim for your own happiness. <laughs> That's the message of today, everyone. Jai. But aim for it with with proper knowledge instead of mm. the way we've been normally doing. We've anyway been doing that, but we've been doing it informed by false ego. Yes. And so we've received the results of that um, being improperly informed. Yes. So aim for one's happiness informed by knowledge. It's a really it's a really um, good idea. Yes, it's a great idea, everyone. Aim for happiness informed by knowledge. Lovely. Well, thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. Sanjivani Radha says, Chant more by Shivaram Swami is also really good. Yeah. Um, thank you, Sanjivani Radha, Madhavapuri, for all your wonderful comments. Thank you, Kavi, and uh, everyone who's joining us here every evening. So me and Jai Jagannath are doing this every evening at 6 p.m. Eastern time. Chit-chat. Hari Bol, everyone. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jaya. Hari Hari Bol. Thank you. See you tomorrow. Hari Bol. Later. Later.